I invite you to find your place in your Bible with me this morning at 1 Chronicles chapter 4. 1 Chronicles chapter 4. You say, Pastor, isn't that where all those names are listed? And the answer to that question is yes. While you're turning there, we want to congratulate Tim and Myra Yates. They are the proud new grandparents of a new grandchild that was born, I think, the 28th or 29th of December, right at the end of December. And if you're missing them today, they're there with their daughter, son-in-law, and that brand-new baby. And so if you see them uh, online or you get a chance to uh, send them a card, congratulate them. Grandchildren are a big deal, and I wish we'd had ours first. <laughs> we could have done without the kids. Just give us the grandkids. First Chronicles chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. Follow along with me. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore you in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my territory, that your name would be with me, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Let's pray together as we begin today. Lord, I ask now that as we begin a new season in life and a lot of new things are ahead of us, and Father, I pray that we will recognize how much you want to fellowship with us, how much you long to hear our voices, how you desire for us to pray to you. As a father likes to hear the voices of his children, our heavenly Father loves to hear the voices of his children. And thank you, God, that we can come into your very presence and we can do so boldly and confidently knowing that you welcome us there and you hear us when we pray. And so, Lord, challenge us today as we begin this new season of life. Challenge us today to be people of prayer and to recognize that our Father in heaven desires to answer our prayers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There's a man by the name of Bill Lacavara. He was fishing off the coast of the Atlantic, Atlantic City, New Jersey area, and he spotted in the distance a plastic bag that was floating in the water. And so he decided to move over as close as he could to it and to get it. And when he finally got back to shore and he opened up the bag, it was filled with 300 envelopes, most of which were not opened. So he began looking at what was already open, and then he ultimately opened some of the other uh, envelopes that were there. And what he discovered is that these had been prayers, or these were prayers or prayer requests that had been sent to a particular pastor. You may wonder sometimes when you send a prayer request to us, what happens to it? Well, hopefully this isn't something that happens to it. Apparently what had happened is that this pastor had died some two years earlier. And because of his illness and then because of his death, the prayer request and the prayers that had been written out and sent to him never got opened by him. And two years after his passing, they cleaned out his house and put away all of his belongings, got rid of all of his belongings. And this, these envelopes must have been there in his home, put into a bag and thrown away. And how they ended up floating in the water in 
uh, the Atlanta, in Atlantic City, New Jersey area, who knows? It was interesting what uh, Bill says about these prayers. He was looking through them. He said some of them were rather frivolous. He said there was one man who asked to win the lottery twice. He said these words, I'm still praying to hit the lottery twice. First, the $50,000, then after some changes have taken place, let me hit the millionaire. Now, before you laugh too much, some of you have prayed the same thing. But a lot of the letters that were there, a lot of the requests that were there, a lot of the prayers that were there were also of a heartbreaking kind. They came from anguished spouses, he said, from children and from widows. They were all crying out to God. Uh, Some prayed for relatives who were using drugs or who were caught in the addiction of gambling or that were cheating on them. Uh, There was one teenager who poured out her heart on yellow-lined paper in her own handwriting, and she was begging God for his forgiveness and asking him for a second chance And she wrote, Lord, I know that I've had an abortion and I killed one of your angels. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about the mistake I made. And other kinds of prayers that were included in that bag that Bill Lacavara found floating in in the ocean waters off the coast of Atlantic City, New Jersey. I'm glad to be able to tell you that while that may happen to prayers that you send to somebody or to prayer requests that get sent to somebody, that God never treats our prayers that way. That God is always delighted to hear the voices of his children. He is always delighted for us to come into his presence and to spend time communing with him and fellowshipping with him. Do you remember all the way back to the Garden of Eden? after God had created Adam and Eve, that he went to the garden and he fellowshiped with them. It means that God talked to them and they talked to God. And God had created Adam and Eve for fellowship with him. And God values our prayers, even our frivolous ones. And before you get too uh, judgmental about those who offer a frivolous prayer about the lottery... Can you think of some prayers that you have prayed through the course of your life that you thanked God months or years later that he didn't answer? You you remember that girl you wanted to marry and you prayed to God that he would let you marry her and now you thank God that you didn't marry her or you didn't marry him if you're a lady? You remember some of those frivolous prayers of that house you prayed for and you just thought you had to have it and God didn't give it to you? He didn't answer the prayer the way you were expecting and God gave you something far better than you ever uh, ever imagined? And we, we pray some of those frivolous prayers, but there are also a lot of those very serious prayers that all of us ask of God. And aren't we thankful that we have a God that hears those prayers? and that answers those prayers according to his will. And sometimes he gives us exactly what we ask. Sometimes he gives us far more than we could ever imagine asking. And sometimes God withholds and says, it's not the right time. That's not the right thing for you. Aren't you thankful that we have a wise God in heaven who knows what prayers need to be answered and when they need to be answered? We have a God who longs for his children to talk to him. Do you dads love to hear your children talk to you? Do you moms love to hear your children talk to you? I know if your children are very young, 
you probably wish sometimes they'd just be quiet because they're talking all the time. But as they get older and they mature in life and you long to have those conversations with your children, our Heavenly Father desires and longs to have conversations with us. He wants to hear us pray, even when sometimes our prayers are the frivolous kinds of prayers. There's a man that I want to introduce you to today who was a man of prayer. He's not a very familiar figure in the Bible, but he's somebody that we need to study for just a few minutes, and his name is Jabez. Before we jump into learning about this man specifically and about his prayer life uh, specifically, let me just take a moment and tell you about First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. I realize that when you're reading through your Bible, you get to the book of Chronicles, and just about everybody becomes crestfallen. Oh, no, I've got to read through all of these names. And every one of us feels the same way when we get there. But if you don't understand the purpose of First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, you might not appreciate what's going on in the books. Actually, they were originally one book, but there, were too, there was too much for a single scroll to carry all of that information. So they broke it into two scrolls so that it became First and Second Chronicles. And in the first nine chapters of First Chronicles, all the way back to Adam, you're chasing or you're, you're tra uh, tracing the lineage of King David, the greatest king of Israel. Through chapter nine, you're, tr you're tracing the lineage of King David. When you get to chapter 10 of First Chronicles, Saul dies. Saul was the king that was chosen by the people. It wasn't God's choice, but they chose this king, Saul. And Saul dies. When you get to chapter 11, David gets inaugurated as the next king of Israel. And the covenants are made with David. That there's going to be one that comes from the lineage of David that's going to sit on David's throne and rule at some point forever, and there'll be peace on earth. And he'll come through the lineage of David. In other words, all of that long list of names are vitally important. It is the original Ancestry.com, where you're tracing back your lineage back as far as you can. And in this case, the Messiah traces his lineage all the way back to King David. And we go all the way back to First Chronicles to see that lineage of David. By the time you get to the end of Second Chronicles... At the end of 2 Chronicles, it closes by saying that while David is the king that God has blessed and God has raised up, there is to be a king that is yet to come. At the end of 2 Chronicles, a king that is yet to come, who is the Messiah, who will be born in Bethlehem, and he will one day rule over the affairs of all mankind. And so 1 Chronicles is a vital book in the Old Testament. But what's interesting is that you get to chapter 4, and suddenly, after a long list of names, you're drawn attention, or attention is drawn to one particular person in that list, and his name is Jabez. The name Jabez literally means, will cause pain. Now, we don't know exactly what that in, in, in implies, it implies possibly one of these three things. Either in the labor and delivery process, there was great pain that was caused to his mother in the delivery process. And consequently, she named him Jabez, which means will cause pain. It may be that in the delivery process that the child that was born had some kind of a handicap, some kind of a physical malady 
they were going to have to live with for the rest of his life. That, that may be the pain that she's talking about, or it may just be the circumstances into which this child was born. The, the situation into which he was born, the kind of life that was around him, the kind of circumstances that he would have to deal with. But, but in some fashion, when this child came into the world, his mother calls him Jabez because I bore him in pain. I bore him in pain. But the other side of this is that it's not all about the pain that Jabez experienced or that he caused his mother or that he'd have to live with for the rest of his life. It says in verse 9 that Jabez, this man who was born in pain, was more honorable than his brothers. More honorable than his brothers. The word honorable comes from the Hebrew word that means weighty or heavy. It's the word that often goes with the glory of God. When you think of the glory of God, it's weighty or it's heavy. The glory of God is weighty or it's heavy. And that's the idea of the word. He's more honorable. In other words, he's telling us that while he was born in pain and he apparently had a life that had, uh, had been filled with pain, the reality was that this man was no lightweight, that this man had great had great uh, place before God in calling on God and in praying to God. It says that he was more honorable than his brothers. I don't necessarily think that that's a criticism of his brothers. It could be. It may just simply be that he's giving a strong compliment to Jabez. He's just pointing out that there's something distinct about Jabez that made him stand out, that made him not be the lightweight that his brothers sometimes could be. Not necessarily a harsh criticism, but maybe just a strong compliment for this man, Jabez. Well, what was it that made him to not be a lightweight? What was it that made him to be a man that God would stop giving this list of names that detailed Ancestry.com, that detailed the lineage of King David? What was it about this particular man that caused God to stop and say, pay attention to him? And it was, he was a man of prayer. It was that he was a man who called on God. If you're keeping notes, the things that I want you to note about this man and about his prayer, first of all, is that he dared. He dared to call on God. I don't doubt that his brothers called on God. I think his brothers probably did call on God. The Jewish people prayed three times a day. That was their pattern. That was their habit. They followed very ritualistic kinds of prayers but what distinguishes Jabez, in my estimation, as I look at this passage of Scripture, is that there was something different about the prayers of Jabez. And it was that these prayers were not offered in some kind of piety, as if you're going through a ritual, but they were offered in passion to God. He loved to communicate with God. He loved to call on the God of heaven. When you think about this kind of praying... We're talking about the kind of praying that Jacob did in Genesis chapter 34. You remember Jacob had stolen his brother's birthright in his blessing. And the result was he was afraid of his brother, thought his brother might be angry, want to kill him, and so he flees. He ends up working for the man who will become his father-in-law. He builds his own wealth, but years have passed, and it's now time to come home, to come back to Israel, to come back to his land, and come back to his brother. But he knows that he's going to have to deal with his brother. 
And so he maneuvers things around. If you go through reading uh, Genesis 32, you'll see how he maneuvers things. He's trying to appease his brother. He's trying to make sure that when he comes home that his brother is going to accept him. And he does a number of things through the course of that chapter trying to make sure that he'll be welcomed by his brother. But there comes that moment when he's going to have to meet Esau. And it says that he has a time of prayer with God, the angel of the Lord, which is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, comes and meets with him. And he wrestles with God. He refuses to let go. He says, I will not let go unless you, what are the words? Bless me. I will not let go unless you bless me. And what does God do? God changes the name of Jacob to the name Israel. And out of that comes this great nation, what we call today Israel. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he wrestled with God all night long. Can you imagine? That's the kind of passionate prayer that we're talking about when we talk about Jabez that made him more honorable than his brothers. He wasn't satisfied just to pray at the set times and the given moments with the ritualistic prayers that were given to them that they would pray. He had something more. He dared to call on God. He dared to wrestle with God. He dared to have passion in his prayers. The New Testament gives us an example that's very similar. Jesus was teaching about prayer. Listen to what it says. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he, was not, that though, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, the old English said the importunity, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. The friend opens the door of his house and gives him the bread, his neighbor, the bread that he needs because he keeps coming back and he wrestles with God in passion. That's what distinguished the prayer of Jabez from the prayers of others that were being offered, even from the prayers possibly of his own brothers. He was a man who wrestled with God. He dared to call on God. Can I challenge you to dare to call on God? I dare you to call on the God of heaven. Will you notice what he says here in verse 9? Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez, here it is, called. Notice on whom he called. He called on the God of Israel. Do you notice he doesn't say he called on the God of the Canaanites or the God of the Sidonians or the God of the Hittites or the God of any other of the pagan nations of the day? He called on the God of Israel more than 200 times in the Old Testament that phrase is used, the God of Israel. And why not call on the God of Israel? No other God can answer prayer. No other God has power to answer prayer. No other God's even listening to your prayers. 
You can bow before every other God, and you can worship any other idol you so wish, but only the God of heaven, the God of Israel, has the power to answer prayer. And don't you think Jabez would have understood that? He had all of the history of the nation of Israel. He had the history of all of his people that had gone before him, how God had delivered them out of Egypt and taken them through the Red Sea and fed them and given them drink out in the desert and led them across the Jordan River and given them a land where God had promised them they would live that flowed with milk and honey. And they had seen the blessing. He had seen the blessing of God over and over as he heard the stories of his ancestors. So when it comes time for him to pray, more than just the rote prayers, more than just the ritualistic prayers, more than just the three times a day so that we can follow and do what we're required to do, here is a man who passionately lays hold of God and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Oh, God, bless me. The God of Israel, you alone have the power. You alone have the strength. You alone are the omnipotent one. You alone can answer my prayers. Think about this God of Israel we're talking about. When the Lord came to Abraham and there were two angels with him and they told Sarah and Abraham they were going to have a son. You remember what Sarah did when she heard the word? She laughed. They were well past the years of having children. They were way up in years. Not able to have children naturally And yet here, the Lord is telling Abraham, you're going to have children. A little bit later, after this is taken care of, he says, I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah, and judgment is coming on Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does Abraham do? Abraham says, God, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 50 righteous in the city? And God says, no, I won't destroy it if there's 50 righteous. And Abraham says, what about if there's 45? And he says, no, I won't destroy it if there's 45. Well, what about if there's 40, God? And what if there's 30? And what if there's 20? And he gets all the way down to the number 10. And he says, God, will you destroy them if there are 10 righteous in the city? And what was he doing? He was wrestling with God. He was praying to God. He was passionately calling on God. He dared to call on God. How dare you, Abraham, that you would ask God to go from 50 to 10? How dare you? And yet God is asking every one of us to pray in a similar kind of fashion. Or how about Hannah? Hannah desperately wanted a baby, a baby boy. Elkanah, her husband, She and her husband, Elkanah, couldn't have a baby. And she would go to the temple, and she was was, uh, mocked by the other women who had their babies. And she would go to the temple. She didn't have a baby to carry with her to dedicate to the Lord. And on one occasion, she goes to the temple, and she's praying. She can't go past the court of the women, but she goes to the temple, and she's praying. Eli sees her and thinks she's been drinking A woman this emotional is pouring her heart out in this fashion. It's this passionate about what she's saying. Surely she must have been drinking, and she's not thinking correctly and speaking correctly. And quickly, Hannah says, no, 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 I haven't been drinking at all. I want a baby, and I'm praying that God will open my womb, and God will give me what I've not been able to have. And what does Eli tell her? God's heard your prayer, and God's going to answer your prayer. Who did she go to? She went to the God of Israel. Because the God of Israel has the power to do what no one else can do. Or think about Elijah on Mount Carmel. He challenges the 
prophets of Baal to a duel. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there for that? And the prophets of Baal build their altar, and whoever, whichever God answers from, from heaven with fire is the one true God. And the prophets of Baal build their altar, and they put their sacrifice, and for the rest of the day, they dance around, and they cut themselves, and they cause the altar to begin to be dissembled, and it's just a terrible sight to watch. And you can hear Elijah in the background occasionally saying, oh, well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe you just need to speak a little louder. But then the time is up and there's no fire from heaven because those other gods are not the one true God. And what does he do? He builds the altar of the Lord, not the one that these pagans have been using. using. He builds the altar of the Lord. He puts on it the wood. He puts the sacrifice. He digs a trench around it. He has water poured on it again and again and again. And what does Elijah do. Elijah calls on the God of Israel to send down fire. And what does God do? He sends down the fire, takes away the sacrifice, takes away the, the, the altar, licks up all the water that's been poured all over the place, running down into the trenches, because he alone has that kind of power. Do you understand that Jabez dared to call on God? Can I tell you, in this new season of life, wouldn't it be wonderful if we just dared to call on God? Do you still believe that the God of Israel is the God of heaven and is the sovereign God of the universe and still is omnipotent and still has the power to do whatever he chooses to do? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just believed in that kind of a God and we dared to call on God? Too many of us go through the motions we, don't, we want to ease our conscience of the guilt of not praying, so we have a prayer periodically. Our blessings over our food become little more than, than rote practice of just doing something ritualistic just to get through so that we can salve our conscience and we can move on and have our food. And we don't ever stop to realize that God wants to commune with us and God wants to talk with us and us to talk with him. He wants to fellowship and he wants us to dare to call on him. What is it that you're facing? What is it that you're dealing with? What is it that's so hard for you? What is it that seems impossible? What is it that would take a miracle? Jabez dared to call on God. There's a second thing I want you to note about his prayer. He not only dared to call on God, he detailed his requests to God. He detailed his requests to God. Somebody has said that vague praying is lazy praying. Did you hear that? Vague praying is lazy praying. You know what I mean by vague? Well, Lord, you know what I need, and Lord, I know you're going to take care of what I need, and so, Lord, I'm just going to throw it all out there. You know what it all is. I don't need to, I don't need to give voice to all of it, and I'm not going to say about everything that I need. Lord, just you take care of it, God. It's sort of like uh, the little story that, <clears throat> you know, about praying before you ask the blessing. I was with Corky Thompson one time, and uh, we were talking about asking the blessing before praying, and he said he took care of that matter. And I said, well, how'd you take care of that matter? He said, when I buy the groceries and bring them home, I pray for them before they ever get cooked. <laughs> that way, every meal is blessed. <laughs> and I thought, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. That might be a good idea. 
You pray for all of these incredible things that God gives to us, and we pray and ask God specifically for the things that we need. We ask God not vaguely, but specifically what are our requests. Look, look what he requests here. He requests three things. First, a larger place to serve. In verse 10, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory that you would increase my footprint, that you would allow me a greater opportunity, that you would remove the limits from me and allow me to do what I've not been able to do and to possess what I've not been able to possess. That's the first of the prayers. He goes on, that your hand would be with me. He not only prays for a larger place to serve, he prays for a greater power to serve. To have God's hand with you is to have God's presence and to have God's power with you. I was fascinated as I was studying for the message about how many times you read about the hand of God. I want you to look over for a moment. Keep your place there. But look over for a moment in chapter 11 of the book of Acts and listen to what it says. How is it that the New Testament church was able to expand as it did? How was it that the New Testament church was able to grow in the fashion it, it grew? How was it that there were so many people that came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Through those early days of the New Testament church? Well, the answer to that question is in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Now listen, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Why is it that they were so blessed? Because the hand of the Lord was with them. And Jabez is detailing his request. Lord, I want a larger place to serve. I want a greater power to serve. But then the third part of his request, he says that you should keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. He wanted an increased protection to serve. Lord, Lord, I don't want to get involved in evil, and I don't want evil to fall on me. Lord, I want you to watch over me and to protect me. And he was asking for an increased protection to serve. In other words... Here is a man who specifically said, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I'm asking of you. This is what I'm praying from you. And doesn't that make sense? God doesn't want us to just pray vaguely. God wants us to pray specifically. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, we do not have because we do not, do you know the next word? We do not ask. We do not have because we do not ask. Or think about what he says in Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. You can't just ask in generalities. You've got to ask in specifics. You've got to ask in details. In that well-known passage that's found in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 6, that deals with anxiety. Any of you anxious? Join the crowd. The rest of us are right there with you. Any of you anxious about worry? And he says you, to make, you're to make your request made known to God. You just do that with thanksgiving. But you make known your request to God. You hear what he says? Make known your requests to God. 
You speak specifically about the things that you, you're asking of God. And when you're asking for God, uh, God for things, it may be that you're praying, God, I just had a diagnosis and I'm asking you to remove this illness from me. Nothing wrong with praying that. But you ought to add to that prayer, and Lord, if you choose for me to continue with this illness, that you will give me the grace and the strength and the peace to be the kind of witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that I have in Christ that you will sustain me in the midst of what I'm going through. You understand what I'm saying? When we ask God specifically, we ask him for exactly what we want, and we ask him even beyond that to say, God, if you choose not to do what I'm asking you to do, Lord, you'll give me understanding and insight, that you'll give me wisdom, and you'll give me the things that I'll need to sustain my life in this life. And I want you to notice what it says at the end of verse 10. Please, there's a word you've got to circle. At the end of verse 10, it says, so God granted him, here's the word, what he requested. I wonder how many times God would have given us more than we requested, but we didn't request it. I wonder how many times God would have done something, but we didn't ask him to do it. And sometimes in his grace, he does it anyway, but many times he's waiting for us to ask him to do that very thing. And here is a man who detailed his requests to God. I was fascinated by the story of one young woman who knew the power of specific prayer when she was facing death head on. In the midst of her sickness, she asked her pastor what she could do, what more she could do for Jesus in the short time that she had left. And he suggested that she make a list of people in their small town who needed Christ and to pray that they would find salvation. So she took his advice she made a list of 56 names in her village of people who needed to know the Lord Jesus. Sometime later, God began to stir, and there was a revival in that village. And it wasn't until after that girl died that they found her prayer list with those 56 names, and every one of them had come to faith in the Lord Jesus, the last one on the night before her death. But she prayed specifically and ask God in detail he Jabez details his requests to God and God wants you to do the same thing you remember at Christmas time when your young children were looking online and maybe in some of the magazines that came across or maybe when you would go to the store and they said I want this and I want that and I'd like to have this and I'd like to have that and we understand children can't have everything they ask for but aren't we thankful that they asked? Amen? You realize how hard it is to buy for somebody that's our age? And you ask them, what do you want? I don't, you know, just whatever, just rather, rather vague, you just whatever you think. Just give me whatever you'd like. Now, I'll just be honest and tell you up front, anything green with president's pictures on it is fine with me. But it's hard when people don't ask what they want. They don't say what they want, and that wasn't Jabez. Jabez was a man who dared to call on God, and when he called on God, he detailed his requests to God. We're going to ask you to do something in the coming weeks. We're going to ask you to take the names 
of your neighbors, the people who live in your community, and write them down and put them in your Bible and pray for those people to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to pray for those people who are out of church to come into the church and begin growing again in their faith. You say, well, can't we just pray, Lord, save all the lost people? Yeah, we should pray, Lord, save all the lost people. But a lot more gets done when you pray for Bill and Mary and John and Sally and Susie. And a lot more gets done when you pray specifically. He detailed his request to God. But finally, I want you to notice that he determined to trust in God. He dared to call on God. He detailed his request to God. He determined to trust in God. You notice what he says here in the middle, enlarge my territory. Do you understand what that means? He is asking for something that God had promised he would do. Remember what God had told the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt and they were on the precipice of entering into the promised land? Now under the leadership of Joshua. You remember that, you, you remember that story? Under the leadership of Joshua. And the result was that the people were to possess the land and God says, I'll drive out those that are living there. Now he wasn't going to do it without their participation. But I'll drive out from before you so that you can possess all of the land. And none of those that are living there now are supposed to remain living there because they will become a temptation to you and to your children that follow you. But they didn't do it, did they? Did they do it? They did not do it. In Joshua chapter 13, specifically, it says that they didn't do. There was still much land to be possessed. Joshua 13, verse 1. Now, Joshua was old, advanced in years. In other words, he's about to die. And the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. And so when Jabez says, Lord, enlarge my territory, increase the footprint of my family's land, he was asking for something that God had already promised. You know what he was doing? He was saying, I am determined to trust in God for his provision. I am determined to rely on God for his provision. Doesn't Hebrews eleven six say that without faith, it's impossible to please him? Now look, there's been times that I've been faithless like you've been faithless. There's been times when I've asked God for something that I know he promised he would do, and I walked away not believing as I should have believed, or I started doubting somewhere along the way. The reality is God desires for his children to come and to ask these big things of him because God delights in answering our prayers, especially when we trust him. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And he says that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Do you believe that? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. There is nothing too hard for God. 
And if God chooses not to remove something from our lives or do something specific, we're asking him and we pray for God to have the grace and the strength and the understanding and the wisdom and the leadership to be able to recognize that this is his will and his plan and that he has a reason for it, to use it for the glory of God. But you pray and you pray believing God. And Jabez was a man who, though his life was filled with pain, maybe a man who was dealing with his own physical challenges that he had to, he had to face every single day of his life, was more honorable than his brothers because he dared to call on God, the God of Israel. And he detailed his requests before God and laid them out one after the other. And he was determined that I'm going to believe that God's going to give me what he promised that he would give me. And he trusted in God. I was interested to read recently about the Welsh Revival. Maybe you've not read about it. It's an interesting read. Look it up on the internet. It took place in the early 1900s. It took place in a little coal mining town called Lockhart, Wales. The man that God used to start this revival was a 26-year-old man named Evan Roberts. It started on a Monday night youth meeting. Young people, listen to me. Young adults, listen to me. It started on a Monday night youth meeting, and there were 17 young people who gathered to pray for personal as well as corporate revival. God chose to do an unusual work, and within a few months... There were as many as 100,000 people who had been converted to Christ. During the height of the revival, football matches, that would be soccer to us, football matches were canceled and scheduled around church revival meetings. Pubs were forced to close because no customers showed up. And even the coal miners, when they went back to work, their mules wouldn't work because they were so used to hearing the swearing and the cursing that they didn't recognize the changed language of the coal miners. One night there was a reporter from London who came to investigate the claims about what was taking place. Near the end of each service, Evan Roberts would give people an opportunity to give a testimony or some prayer request, and the reporter stood up and asked, I've come to see what's the secret of the Welsh revival. And Evan Roberts replied, there is no secret to the Welsh revival. Ask, and you shall receive. Ask, and you shall receive. He's a man who, like Jabez, dared to pray to God, the God of Israel who can do anything and do everything that's within his will. And that's the challenge we make to you in this new season of life. If you haven't picked up a copy of this devotional book for the month of January, 31 Days of Prayer, today we're day two. Bill Blankenship writes the devotion for today. I wrote the one for the first day of the year. It's about the glory of God and wanting to see the glory of God. You say, what do I pray? Here's a great place to begin. Oh, God, I want to see your glory. I'm not going to see it like Moses saw it until I see you face to face probably, but Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to see your moving in our midst. And every day there's a challenge because if we can ingrain within our lives the pattern of prayer, it'll change 
It'll change your life. It'll change your family's life. It'll change the, our church's life. It'll change this community's life. It'll even change this country's life. If we just became a people of prayer, God can do amazing things if we pray.